And I think what is very important if you talk about social justice is to uh, let the voice of the local people be heard. In the end, it is the people themselves who should be in the driver's seat. Our partners locally know better. The Amazon International Podcast Chasing Impact is dedicated to all leaders out there who are busy building a better world. We are here because we know that building a better world is not only necessary, but possible. That pushing our business or nonprofit organization to the next level means acting with purpose over short-term goals. That success means not simply chasing the next grant, donation, or quarterly profit target, but chasing impact. Today, I am joined by Anthony, who's program leader and business developer from the Dutch-based nonprofit Word and Dad. Hello, Anthony. Thank you for joining. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, happy to be here. So we're here to speak about the World Day of Social Justice. This is a day marked by the UN to recognize ongoing needs to tackle issues such as poverty, gender inequality and human rights. With everything that is going on in the world right now, you can agree that this is needed now more than ever. Definitely. Yeah. And I wanted to kick off the conversation, Anthony, by asking you to give an introduction first into yourself and also the work that Word and Dad does in overcoming social injustice. Yeah, thank you. My name is uh, Anthony Treurem. I, um, I work for Word and Dad as a program leader for our inclusive agribusiness program. And I'm also involved as a learning lead in our focal policy team, ProPor Climate Resilience. I mainly work with a, a dedicated team of colleagues and partners in the South, both in Asia and Africa. Last year, we had our 50th anniversary, and we often say that we do not say we celebrate our anniversary because, well, the goal of our organization is to fight poverty and to help and support people to have a fulfilling life. We are inspired by the biblical principles of compassion and justice. Justice is very much at the core of our organization. And we focus on yeah, fighting poverty worldwide. One of the key words, I think, in our approach is that it is very much an entrepreneurial approach. And you can see it also in our programming. Our areas of focus are education, youth employment, sustainable water, and uh, inclusive agribusiness. Your mission at Word and Dad is clear. You state that you want to see change in systems and change in the lives of individuals. I think now's a nice time for you to maybe walk us through a specific project where you have accomplished and worked on this change in systems and lives of people. Yeah, yeah, system change. It is an important word for our organization, also in the sector. There is, of course, also a danger that the word system change can become a buzzword, mm-hmm. as it is uh, used a lot. If we, from more than that, if you look at system change, I think the key is that we address root problems root causes of poverty instead of treating symptoms. So one of the things we often say is we want to move away from project thinking, often with a time span of three years or four years or five years with just one partner, and move towards partnership thinking from the idea that in partnerships, well, you get further. A system change addressing root causes is very much important. And to address root causes, you have to understand the system that you are working in. And that implies in itself that you work with multiple actors that are uh, working in the system. Uh, So in many of our programs, we work with civil society organizations in the South, we work with governments, uh, we work with the private sector. And the idea is that before we start, we map the system. What is happening? What is going on? And to see, okay, what kind of leverage point do we see 
to address the root causes of a certain type of poverty. Could be young people looking for a job, uh, farmers to have a worthy place in a value chain, etc. One example that I can name is a program called Benkadi, which is in an African language, it means working toward together towards the same goal. Uh, that in itself already says something about, let's say, system approach. It's a lobbying advocacy program focusing on climate change. We focus in four Western African countries, and namely uh, Benin, Burkina Faso, uh, Mali, and Ivory Coast, on, let's say, on people who are hit the hardest by climate change and to get their voice heard in the political arena, both locally, let's say, in the countries themselves, but also internationally. And what is then the system change aspect? What we also could have done, which is not necessarily a bad thing, uh, is to have a very specific projects with a very specific community to work, for example, on coastal erosion. But if we do that without the government, if we do that without other players in the system, then after the project stops, there is a great chance of it just being a project and that's it. And the sustainability would then be at risk. If you work within the system and try to influence policies that the government can take part of the responsibility to take care for the people who are hit the hardest, then you are working on a structural change at a large time span, I would say. You've outlined your value-based systemic change and you've also touched on the fact that it is indeed the people that contribute the least to climate change that are most affected by it. I'd like for us to go a bit deeper now into the specific objective you're the learning lead of the pro-poor climate resilience. Yeah. Um, you touched on this in an example of this, but um, I'd like to know more about what exactly is this and what kind of strategies have you developed to help vulnerable people better adapt to climate change? Yeah, thank you. That's a good question. What we, I think, all can see in the world is that climate change plays a very big role in the fact why people get into poverty or stay in poverty. Climate change is, of course, not the sole cause of poverty, but it becomes increasingly a driving factor of poverty in various communities in a lot of countries. So we said, well, for all our programming, it's very important that climate change and understanding what climate change is and how it can affect people should be mainstreamed in all our programs. And it was, first of all, let's say the intention was to also educate our colleagues internally on, okay, what is climate change? what is actually happening, because we have a lot of experts, uh, for example, on education or on youth employment, but these are not necessarily uh, the experts also on climate change, but for them it's very relevant in their work to take it along. So actually we have a kind of a certain internal academy where we, well, discuss the topic of climate change, but we also help, let's say, our colleagues together with the partners to give it a good place in the programming. That's what we did for the past three years. And there are some interesting developments. Initially, colleagues, especially from the Sustainable Water and Inclusive Activism Department, said, okay, this is logically a topic that touches upon us as well, all the farmers having challenges with their agricultural production because of droughts, floods, uh, irregular weather patterns, etc. The same with sustainable water. But initially, there were also colleagues from, let's say, the education or the youth employment side who initially said, well, is climate change a topic for us? And over the time, let's say that this focal policy team is being treated in our organization, you see also that in a lot of those projects, it get a firm place that, for example, in the education department, that climate change can be linked to dropouts at school 
or climate change can also be linked to the fact that children are being sent away to work in the houses of other people and being exploited. And to understand these kind of dynamics is very important for the approach that we do, of course, with our partners. We don't have a set of, let's say, best practices on how to fight climate change because it depends on every context. And in many cases, we have very good partners who have knowledge about that. But especially supporting and facilitating, let's say, making sure that climate change adaptation is rooted in the systems approach that we have is, uh, I think, a very important supporting role that we play as well in that. Absolutely, deep-rooted so that it's not just focusing on immediate challenges, but long-term solutions. Because unfortunately, as you've said, it is a deep-rooted problem. It's not going away anytime soon. Word and Dad work with partner organizations across Africa, Asia, and Latin America. I'm curious to know two things. One is, how is social justice perceived differently in different countries? that you work in? And then also, how do you overcome regional challenges to support social justice? I think social justice and how it is perceived is very much also closely linked to a culture, a context, to communities, to certain groups in a certain culture. So I'm a bit hesitant to say, well, that there is an explicit difference on what social justice is. It also very much depends on history, I think. What kind of history a certain context or a country or a culture has had uh, in the past. But I think what is very important if you talk about social justice is to let the voice of the local people be heard, especially for us as Wart and Dad, we want to facilitate, support the process of people uh, getting out of poverty. But in the end, it is the people themselves who should be in the driver's seat. Our partners locally know better, let's say, culturally in the context what is needed than we do. And I think also if you speak about what is social justice in a certain context, it's for them first to speak about what it is in their perception. So I think that's very important. And that I think also relates to a central concept in our approach, which is southern leadership or thought leadership, making sure that the important decisions in an approach is being made in the local context. Southern leadership should be at the core. I also wanted to speak a bit about the current state of funding for this sector. What are your current feelings about it? Do you think it's going in the right direction? That's also an interesting question. Well, there are, of course, several approaches to funding. It can, first of all, be donor funding. It could be investments, especially if you talk about climate change. There's a lot of talks going on, not only on, for example, loss and damage or on donor money to fund climate-related projects, but also on climate finance. So there are different streams. I definitely see an increased intention to uh, climate-related funds, but I also see a lot of competition. So, for example, if you apply for a certain call for proposals, there's a lot of competition as well. Mobilizing local resources is very much important. The example that I gave about the, the climate uh, lobbying advocacy program, we are looking to also local governments to allocate funds for favorable policies for people who are hit by climate change. We as Wharton Dath, for example, do also lobbying advocacy in The Hague, where the Dutch government is present, and also in Brussels for the European government. So I think it's important to look for mixed funding and also for sustainable solutions in the long run. Sometimes eh, a program needs donor funding to start to get a certain concept implemented, approach implemented to get people started. But on the long run, for example, and, and then I come back, I think, to the key word for what and that, which is entrepreneurial approach, 
is that people are best helped when, for example, a smallholder farmer has a stable place in a value chain or a young person who has learned a skill or had had a certain education that he or she is able to find a job on the labor market. And for those kind of things, maybe on the short run, you need some money to train a farmer or to train a young person. But on the long run, you need a developing economy, uh, small, medium enterprises who can invest and hire people, who can buy goods from smallholder farmers against fair prices. If you speak about uh, funding trends, I see a bit of a, maybe it's not a shift, but I see a lot of attention towards, let's say, also investments which are very important, a shift also towards mobilizing local resources from governments, from the private sector. And then it also becomes very much important, if you speak about Southern leadership, that it's very much a joint effort and that everybody contributes to the best of their ability. Absolutely. I think that is a good note to end on. Anthony, thank you so much for joining. You're welcome. It was great to be here. Thanks for listening to the MZN International Podcast, Chasing Impact. We hope this episode inspired or challenged you to do good better. Subscribe to our podcast for more interviews with thought leaders who are revolutionizing the nonprofit and private sectors. For more information about MZN International, visit our website, www.mzninternational.com. Or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn to find out more about our free webinars and insight articles. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you with us next time. 